the kingdom of God is in contrast to and in opposition to the world. And the church is a window into the upside-down kingdom of God. Hello and welcome to Rooted Together podcast, a podcast which aims to root you in Christ through his word together. I'm your host, Charles Hegwood, and today we are in Matthew chapter 20. And I want to start off today's episode a little different. I want to give you a prayer from Matthew chapter 20, and this prayer will encompass all the themes and the meaning, and I just want you to see how it unfolds throughout the text. So here it is. Oh Lord, you are generous to even the lowly. You give to the least what you gave to the first. Oh, that I may not complain when your goodness redeems those I don't think are worthy. Align my heart with yours. Let your people rejoice in your loving generosity. Let me never seek what is not mine. Let me be a servant even as I lead. Let not my head be haughty with illusions of power. Instead, let me cry out as the blind men did, Lord, have mercy on me. And when the crowd bids me silent, let me cry out to you all the louder, Lord, have mercy on me. For you are generous and compassionate in mercy. Open my eyes today that I might follow you to the cross. Amen. Well, as we begin and get ready to jump into the text, I want to start us off with that. Just get your mind thinking about the themes of God's loving compassion, generosity, and mercy, because they are on display in chapter 20 as Jesus gives a parable and does some teaching and makes a prediction about his death and heals to blind men. So we see displayed in this chapter the loving generosity of the Father, which is displayed through the kingdom, contrasted with our selfishness. We see our desire for power over the servant-like heart of Jesus. And finally, we see our hardness of heart contrasted with the mercy of the Son. So let us cling to the Father as we follow the Son, seek the lowly and servants, for God is Good. So in verses 1 through 16, we see a warning against comparing. Now, that's not all that parable is about, but there's the warning in, embedded within it. So think about this. We live in a competitive world. We sometimes take that heart to our Father, which means we take our competitiveness and approach God with that. But Jesus warns that such things and such thinking stems not from love, but from sin. So in the parable, there's an emphasis on this phrase, the last and the first. We see that in verses 8, where he starts paying the last first, and he pays the first last. And verse 16, which is our concluding sentence here, where it says the first, the last will be first, and the first will be last. God chooses, and here's the main idea of this parable, God chooses to be generous with those whom he is generous We have no place to complain. Now, if you read the parable, I understand why they complain. Because if I worked a full day in the hot burning sun and the people who showed up for the last hour got the same pay as me, we would mark that up as unfair. But remember, and this is the important part, is Jesus tells this parable, these men agreed to 
the payment before they started, and he pays them what he agreed, and he says, is not, that's my business, that's not your business. Take what you got and be thankful because it is what we agreed on. But we understand this from a moralistic point of view where we see this as unfair, and yet what we're missing here is Jesus is saying that the Father is abundantly generous, and he has a right to be generous with whom he chooses to be generous in his kingdom because he is, you guessed it, the king. So instead, we should celebrate God's goodness in this parable, not not look at it as a sense of, well, if they got the same thing as me, I should be getting more because I worked more. Jesus levels the playing field, and the Father levels the playing field when we approach heaven's throne. And the question that Jesus poses in verse 15 is a dagger to our hearts. Is your eye evil? Meaning, are you jealous? Are we jealous when we see God giving generously and compassionately and mercifully to those that we don't think deserve it? Because if we do, and if that's us, we must repent because it is we who are sinful. It is we who are being unjust. There's a lot more that could be said, but we're going to jump to verses 17 through 28, and we see the suffering servant Savior, a little alliteration for you. So for the third time in this book, Jesus tells his disciples that what was about to happen, that he would be taken, beaten, crucified, buried, and rise again on the third day. So in the context of this cross prediction, this this foretelling of what is getting ready to happen, James and John's mother comes with them, and he and they ask about all three of them. Kind of ask about power positions in the kingdom. She says, "Hey, can my son sit at your left and your right?" And they're in on it. I mean, don't miss the fact they're in on it because Jesus says, "Can you take this cup?" And they both answer. That's the boys answer. Yes, we can. Now they don't know what the cup refers to, but the cup is referencing verses 17 through 19, his prediction of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. What is about to happen as they enter Jerusalem, but they're unaware of this. And in verse 24, the other 10 get mad, rightfully, right? Because you hear that they're kind of plotting to take the power positions, but they are mad or they are indignant, as a lot of translations say, for the wrong reasons. A lot of it is they are frustrated because they didn't get to Jesus first. And they think they, these, these two brothers, James and John, have somehow usurped their chance at a power position. But Jesus will take a moment and he will teach his disciples and he will teach us what it looks like to live and to lead in the kingdom of God. So we looked at the first parable. And we, what is it like to live in the kingdom of God? It is not complaining, but accepting and celebrating God's generosity. Here it is that we, when we lead, we lead humbly, and we lead with a servant-like heart. Jesus teaches them about how he is the suffering servant. He came to serve, not to be served. He, the Savior, came to suffer and to serve. Why then do we, and why did they, and why do we today think that we are above serving and above suffering? They failed to understand that the kingdom of God belongs to the humble and the lowly. Remember the Sermon on the Mount. They failed, and we often fail, to understand this principle. All people are to come to Jesus 
like that, humble and lowly. The kingdom of God is in contrast to and in opposition to the world, and the church is a window into the upside-down kingdom of God. So we run quickly as we finish here at verses 29 through 33, the story of the two blind men calling out for mercy, mercy to the lowly. You see, two blind men call out to Jesus for mercy, and the crowd who is following Jesus, the crowd who they're supposed to be the people, as you read this, you would think they've seen Jesus teach, they've seen him perform miracles, they've heard him over and over and over again, you would think they would celebrate that that Jesus would have a chance to redeem and to heal these two blind men, but they try to silence the two blind men. And they're crying out, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus is moved with compassion. And amazingly for the two men, as, as the crowd continues to try to silence them, they cry out even louder in the compassion and the generosity and the mercifulness of Jesus brings him to them. And he says, what do you want? And they said, we want to see. And he heals them. And don't, don't miss it. They, can, they open their eyes and they began to follow him to Jerusalem. They followed him right into the place where he would be handed over to the Gentiles, beaten, mocked, killed, buried, and then resurrected on the third day. He opened their eyes. He had mercy on them because the Father has mercy on who he chooses to have mercy, and the Son gives mercy to whom he chooses to give mercy. And we, unlike the crowd, should be celebrating who God grants that mercy to. May we cry out to Jesus as well for mercy and not silence others who need mercy. May we cry out to Jesus, Lord, have mercy, have mercy on me. We're not above, nor are we beyond the mercy of Jesus. And so as you read this, I bring you back to the prayer from the beginning. May that be our prayer, your prayer, as you reflect on this text. Lord, have mercy on me and let me follow you to the cross. Thank you for listening to Rooted Together, and I look forward to joining you in chapter 21 next time. I'll see you there.